0: Welcome to Canada's podcast, the number one podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. So hi everyone, today I'm with Sean Johal, who's an entrepreneur, business coach and author. So thanks for being with us today. Thank you. Great. So we always love to start with, tell us about how you came to be an entrepreneur and where are you at right now?
1: Good. Yeah. You know, I, I can go a little further back and, and, and tell you that when I was growing up, I never expected to be an entrepreneur. You know, I had two parents that were working at very um, you know, standard, clear jobs where they were not, you know, looking for me to start doing wild things like trying a new business. They always told me you work at the same place for the rest of your life and you'll get a really nice watch at the end and everything will be stable, you know? So I went in a whole other direction. And uh, so I was part of a family business in uh, 2004. It was a lighting business. My in-laws had started it in 1999. I joined the family business a little later. And my father had managed to bring this business on the TSX Stock Exchange, uh, which is really an amazing story how he pulled it off. Actually, very, very smart man. And you know, he started buying uh, companies and he had this amazing growth, a really great Quebec uh, success story. Um, brought the company up to over $50 million. So it was really amazing. And then the financial crash hit in 2007 in the US and we were a little bit over leveraged and it was really, really difficult, but the whole business came crashing down uh, within a year. And so we ended up in 2008 and now my brother-in-law and I, you know, we're looking at this mess because it really was a mess. And we said, okay, what can we do, you know, to revive this thing? And so, With my father-in-law's help, we were able to buy back some of the assets, some of the inventory, save a lot of jobs for the people who had lost their jobs. And we relaunched our business under a name called Dallas Lighting at that time.
0: Great. And then, so what happened since then? You know, like what changes have you made or like, how did you transform by being the employee to now one of the owner?
1: That's a great question. And again... You know, I look back at it now and it was, you know, pretty crazy as a story. I never thought to myself how much risk we were actually taking by mortgaging our houses a second time. It almost felt like, oh, we just got to do this, you know, but now someone would have told me now, like the risks I was taking. I think I was kind of young and naive, you know, um, but it ended up being a great decision. So we started this new business, you know, we had inherited a few teams and, you know, first couple of years, like many businesses are really challenging, right? Where it's just trying to make the next paychecks, trying to get some, you know money banks wouldn't even support us because we didn't have enough leverage at that point to even have a bank to back us. Um so we were going along we used a factoring company. I don't know if you ever heard of that Sandra, but factoring is kind of a company that you know they give you money with high interest on your receivables and your inventory. So it's very high interest. It's not something you want to get into, but we had no choice. So that was kind of our first step into the financial markets. And then eventually a bank, you know, TD and a great partner, they helped us after that. Um, but what happened was to us in 2012 we hit a wall. Um, you know, we we're not innovating anymore, we didn't have the right products, we didn't have the right people. And one of our competitors at that time launched a product line that was directly competitive with us, copied every single one of our products, which is really, really insane, and put them all at a dollar or less. And so a lot of our customers started calling and saying, well, what are we going to do? You know, these products are less expensive now. And we thought our world was over. We thought we were closing the doors, business was done. Um, but now looking back, it was the absolute best thing that happened to us because it made us realize, you know what, we need to step up our game. We need to make, take things to the next level. And that's actually when we went out and found a business coach. Uh, we have hired this amazing woman named Cleo. She brought in what was called then the Rockefeller habits. Now it's called the scaling up methodology. And We basically put this methodology into place. We ended up changing a lot of our team. We changed almost 80% of our team over the next five years uh, because there were a lot of people we realized weren't fits for our business completely transformed the culture and uh, we've been going strong ever since, you know, we tripled our revenue uh, during that period. Um, And it's been, it's been a really cool ride, a lot of learning, uh, but I'm happy we found that methodology. That was really a game changer for us.
0: And I I would be curious to see the difference in your Sunday evening family dinner, you know, over the years, you know, like how was the dynamic at home or with your family?
1: Well, so a great question. You know, my brother-in-law and I get along famously, super close. And then, you know, my in-laws were no longer really part as much of the business in terms of the day-to-day. They were actually helping us grow sales in the U.S. because we opened up a whole division in Florida and they did an amazing job actually growing that market, like really amazing. Um, so yes, we ended up speaking way too much about business. In the first few years, my wife was in the business too. So it was truly a family affair. And eventually we stopped that because that was very unhealthy to be honest with you and you know we always did a good job in the, in the family of making sure we separated business and family. Um, sometimes we would get into it and it was a bit challenging but for the most part we said okay you know when we're on the weekend we have to actually tell ourselves this you know everyone it's the weekend we avoid talking about the business because it's not going to be fair for the people who are not part of the company right now and we were starting to have our kids in those days so you know that was keeping us really busy. Um, so, you know, yes, there's a lot of challenges, but there's a lot of, you know, interesting advantages to in the family business where you can really trust the people. You know, I've seen a lot of scary stories with partnerships falling apart, people not being able to trust each other along the way. Um, you know, we never had that. We always had this complete relationship of trust where I could put my full trust into my brother-in-law. He could fully trust me to do the right things. Of course, there's always, you know, disagreements and arguments like in any business. But I think that extra level of trust really gave us that added energy to move forward.
0: So, so trust, setting boundaries, like anything else that like any other advice you'd want to give, like people listening who are in family businesses or want to start a family business?
1: I would say the biggest thing more than even trust and setting boundaries is creating clear roles and responsibilities. I think that's absolutely huge because what happens is in any business, it's a challenge, especially it's a challenge when the shareholders are the entrepreneurs in the business and separating, we call them, you know, two different hats. My friend uh, Hugo is another great coach that I know. He likes calling them, you know, drawers, you know, where you're actually opening the drawers and you're taking out a different personality each time. So people, for, for one, have to learn the difference between being a shareholder and being someone running a business. They're completely different and most entrepreneurs I know mix those two up. They actually end up putting them in the same bucket and they treat their business as a shareholder they treat their roles and responsibilities the same way, which is actually pretty wrong. So I would say, you know, for any entrepreneur, but especially in a family business, learn to establish right off the bat who's taking care of what, you know, where, where does, where the responsibilities lie? Where do the roles lie? And make sure that that is very clear. When you clarify that, it'll really allow for a much better structure overall, especially for your employees.
0: Yeah, I can. I can imagine. I can imagine. And and so you said your your company is based in in Quebec. So you know what do you see as, And you started it also like in a time that was actually really tough. So like what do you see are like the advantages of doing business here? You also mentioned in the United States. So like what does your location look like? And what are the benefits of being here in Quebec or you know having businesses outside outside the borders?
1: Sure. So it's a really great question. It's actually going to lead to an answer that's going to give a little perspective on the reason we even went to the U.S. What we realized is that people in general, whether they're in Quebec, whether they're in Canada or whether in the U.S. are very, um, they're, they're very much patriots, right? They, they very much respect and like buying locally. And the thing is that as soon as you set up shop in the right place, you know, they'll just assume that you're local at that point. So, you know, obviously in Quebec, um, you know, we had the advantage of being very interconnected from the previous family business and into the new business with all the amazing customers. We have here the Multi-Luminaires, the ink alumni, you know, the Home Depots, the Lumens, the Westburns, all the different clients that we deal with. That really helped. But you, you know, the truth, Sandra, if we're being honest, is that as soon as we go outside of Quebec and we do our marketing outside of, of Quebec, we market ourselves much more like a Canadian company. Because that's just the perspective that people seem to appreciate more. So we would always make an effort to make it seem seamless. For example, a lot of the companies that we deal with, their head offices are in Toronto. So, you know, a lot of our competitors are also in Toronto. So that's a bit of a disadvantage. So one of our customers would say, okay, I want a meeting tomorrow, Sean, at three o'clock. We would literally have to get on planes and not start saying, oh, you know, it's going to be complicated. We would just get on a plane and get to Toronto as quickly as possible and make it seem seamless for them and not make it seem like we're actually located outside of their city. So that was something that was quite important. It was a little less impactful in B.C. They didn't really care. We were just kind of the East Coast people at that point. So it was like a bit of a different uh, thought process there. But the same was true for us in the U.S. Like we started realizing early in the business that we were not going to be able to have true growth in the U.S. unless we were located in the U.S. And that's what led us into having an office there. Now you might ask, why the heck are you in Florida? You know, obviously Quebecers have a nice tie with people from Florida, that's for sure, and the, and the, and the, um, the state. But what happened to us is that we ended up getting a lot of customers out of the Miami market. So the Miami market is the same. It's a very modern, innovative type market with lighting and our products are very innovative and modern. So it was a really great opportunity for us to go into that lo- location and territory, build some amazing relationships and rapport, which then allowed us after that to really you know grow the business there. And then it just became easy at that point to say, okay, let's have a head office or US head office in Coral Springs, which is near Fort Lauderdale. And we'll just ship everywhere in the US from this location. As we grow, it might be a bit of a challenge because it's not as big of a hub as, let's say Atlanta, for example, which is a big hub for California or even like New York or the, you know, the, the upper East coast, um, the Northeast. So we'll see where that goes. But so far the decision to go in local areas was really to have that local presence and seem like we're from there. And you just end up getting that much more business then.
0: That's great. And right now we, we're talking about your entrepreneur entrepreneurial life, but we also said that you're a business coach and author. So like what happened to have you shift to that or like wear all these hats at the same time? Because you're still running the business and doing all these other things. So like what happened?
1: So, you know, I've been really obsessed with this quest for happiness. Um, you know, you, you mentioned my name at the beginning is Sean. I actually have an Indian name and my Indian name is Sukraj. And Sukraj actually means the happy leader. In my, uh, in my language, in the Punjabi language, which is Indian. And so I've, I don't know what those guys, my grandmother named me that way right when I was young that I've been obsessed with it, but I've really had this quest for happiness my entire life. And, you know, in a business, like most entrepreneurs I've met, when I speak with them, the, the majority of the time they seem pretty unhappy. They're stressed out. They're overwhelmed. They're overworked. They don't have a work-life balance. And they keep looking to this point in the future where they say, when X happens, then I'll be happy. What we end up realizing is that X actually never happens because X is selling my business. But they might not sell their business for a decade, maybe never, for all we know. Or they'll say, OK, you know, when I have that time to kind of things are going to slow down, then I'll be happy. But most of the time, either things don't slow down, especially in today's you know speed of market and industry, or it slows down so much that they get more stressed because now they don't have any more business. So along the way, I was helping a lot of entrepreneurs through the Entrepreneurs Organization. Smaller businesses also, I was just giving back my time, helping them grow, helping them fix their businesses. Um, and I started realizing I had a true passion for this, something that I really, really love doing. And so a couple of years ago, you know, I was looking at the business of my brother-in-law and I said, you know what? I'm not as fulfilled as I'd like to be in this business. Um, you know, I'd like to go follow my passion, but I'd love to stay involved with you. So what can we do Something i a setup up where you run the business you know, with my support, I'll, I'll coach the business, I'll help you hire the right talent. But I can go pursue helping other businesses, non, non-competitors, of course, Andrew, uh, and help other businesses grow on their end. And that led to a lot of leadership conferences and speaking that I ended up doing because I had a lot of opportunities there, which then led to the book, also The Happy Leader, which I started writing to in 2012. So I started writing it eight years ago, believe it or not. Um, and so now it's just being finished up as we speak. And so that was the journey that led me to that. And it's, uh, it's been really cool because now I kind of get the best of both worlds. I get to, to help you know, my brother-in-law and the company continue thriving, but I get to help about 25 other businesses across North America grow as well.
0: Wow, that's fantastic. So it's really in the pursuit of happiness that like, you were like, okay, I need to maybe take a little bit less time on the business and actually be able to contribute to other, other people.
1: Yeah, exactly. It was really this idea of saying, okay, it was happiness, and I'd say the second part of it is impact. So I said to myself, how can I impact as many people as possible and I think I was impacting, you know, our 50 or so employees at our company, which is great, and impacting some customers and suppliers. But I said, is there a way for me to have a bigger impact and really help people find, you know, more joy in the journey? Because I really feel like people are on this journey and they're just missing it. You know, they're they're kind of not really participating in the journey that they're on, and they're going to look back and think to themselves, "Well, what just happened? You know, the last five years, ten years, twelve years, where'd they go?" And so when I work with clients. That's my first thing I say I ask them are you happy? Are you happy in your business? How's your happiness level? And we actually have an assessment in scaling up that asks those questions you know are you tired of being in the business? Is management fun? And then the last question is, are you happy? And we see what the answers come out and then I also tell my clients I'm gonna help you you know with that process. Now I implement some really strange things, Sandra. I mean you'd be, you'd be surprised to see some of the stuff we do but for example, in some of the coaching meetings we do you know full day strategic planning. I'll often integrate meditation right into the middle of the day. And people are like, what is this? Why are you doing meditation? I'll say, listen, we just worked on super heavy stuff, strategy, figuring out your vision for the next 10 years, priorities, the right people in the right seats. Then I send you on a break. And you go on your break and you start checking your email. And now you have fires to put out because now you're stuck with me all day here. So you're putting out fires, you're calling people back. And now you come back to the table and your brain is fried because now you've done all these other things. And now you need to get back in the zone. And now we have to start talking about core clients and core, you know, territories. How can I expect them to have focus and not be distracted? So I'll often do, you know, a breathing exercise, a meditation or some stretching, and I'll get them back into the zone so that we can start again. And I also teach them that that is a superpower that people don't realize. It reduces stress greatly. I, I even encourage my clients to have meditation practices in their workplace, to be honest with you.
0: Well, those are great advice because, you know, Canada's podcast is for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. So really interesting to see that, like, if anyone listening was, you know, like being like, you know, felt felt that they were like tired or that they they were like not being happy in their businesses while adding these like little tricks in their daily routine could help like any other things that like you do in your routine that you see makes a difference in like increasing your level of happiness in your business.
1: Absolutely. So that's an amazing question, and uh, it might seem a little intense for people. I mean, I've been very obsessed with this whole thing, and I write about it in the book as well. It's, uh, you know, I believe greatly in morning routines and evening routines. So to me, those are two huge parts of the day. So anybody listening to this, if you have your cell phone in your bedroom, and if you're giving me the excuse that you're using your cell phone as your alarm, uh, go on Amazon for $9.99 to buy an alarm clock. Get rid of your cell phone. Your cell phone should not even be on the same floor as you're on. You don't want to wake up. Most people that I know, they wake up, they start checking their phone right away. They check their phone, they check their email, they check the news, they check, you know, whatever they want to check. And they're right away programming their brain in the stress mode now because now they're already thinking, okay, I have all these different things to do. They're no longer in the present moment, right? They're thinking of the future where things are going to happen, good or bad. And that's not the state you want to start in. What you want to do is you want to start your day with the right type of intention. So I always start my day where I kind of get up, I'm on the side of my bed and I look at my day and I say, okay, what are the roles I have to take on today? Because every day we have different roles. Like for you, for example, today you're doing a podcast. So you have to be a great interviewer for your podcast. Now I'm a guest, so I have to be a great guest on the podcast. So this morning I'll wake up and I said, okay, I have a couple of coaching sessions and I'm going to be in a podcast. So today I have to be an amazing coach and I have to be an amazing podcaster, you know, an interviewer, interviewee, sorry. And then I say to myself, okay, what skills do I need to make those happen? Okay, so I have to be a really great communicator, for example. And then I'll really integrate that into what I call the seven levels of integration. So what, what those seven levels are is, instead of just saying, I'm gonna be a great communicator, because that's easy to say, but it's not gonna really go into your mind. You do it differently. You say, okay, it's safe to be an amazing communicator, because safety is the number one feeling and emotion that human beings need. It's easy to be a great communicator, I can be a great communicator. I accept to be a great communicator. I deserve to be a great communicator. I'm ready to be a great communicator. And finally, you do the affirmation, I am a great communicator. So it sounds a little bit cheesy, maybe. But if you're actually doing it properly, you'll finish it and you'll realize, wait a sec, like I am really going to be an amazing communicator today. And now you've set your intention with your identity for the day. So to me, that's one of the best ways to start the day. It's really an amazing way to get going. When you look at evening routines, most people I know, again, checking screens until right before bed, falling asleep on Netflix, on like violent shows. I say you need a bit of time before going to bed where you can actually reprogram your mind because you're about to sleep for the next eight hours. And whatever you put into your subconscious right before bed is what's going to be working while you're sleeping. So you have to change your, your evening routine no matter what. So normally I give myself about 30 minutes. And what I do in that 30 minutes, I do stretching. So I do some very specific stretching and I visualize the next day. What is it that I'm going to accomplish? What's going to be my success stories the next day? The second thing that I'll do is a gratitude journal. So I'll write in a journal all the things that I'm grateful for from the day that just happened. And It doesn't have to be huge things. It could be as simple as taking a walk with my wife, for example, or, you know, having a good talk with my daughter or my son. I mean, it does not need to be something really huge. So you just integrate okay what are the really cool things that happened today what am i grateful for and then i'll often do a small like a, a quick meditation 5 to 10 minutes which is kind of a mind clearing meditation where you clear out everything of your mind so that when you go to sleep you're actually going to sleep with a stress free type of uh, state
0: That's wonderful well definitely taking taking some advice for my evening routine as you said like my evening routine is brushing my teeth. So I'm really excited to try this on.
1: <laughs> yeah, try it. Let me know how it goes.
0: So, so if we want to finish the podcast on, on a note of like, what is your vision? You know, like you've been talking a lot about like growing businesses, like impact you want to have, like what's next for you as, a, as an entrepreneur?
1: Yeah, there, there's a lot of different things. You know, now I'm doing the business coaching thing and when COVID hit, uh, it made me put things into perspective, like many of your listeners, for sure. And many entrepreneurs, many of the, the people are the leaders out there. Uh, so it allowed me to finish my book, obviously. So that was really great. I would never have finished it without the buyers, to be honest with you. It would have just sat there and it would have taken me another 10 years. Um, but what I realized, is that I really want to take my personal coaching business now digital. Uh, I think there's a really amazing opportunity right now to go into the digital space. There's a lot of need. Online courses are blowing up, you know, subscription models, certifications. I'm taking my business much more in that direction, which I think is really big. Uh, I'll be hosting a virtual summit, as a matter of fact, um, on November 16th, which is going to be a really big deal for me. Um, Actually, November 9th, I should say. And you know, what's really cool about that idea about a virtual summit is that you can really become a thought leader and authority in your space. Uh, So to me, that's something that a lot of businesses should be looking into uh, because it doesn't cost a lot to do. And what you're doing is you're just trying to get really amazing speakers, speak for free for about 30 minutes. You're interviewing them exactly like you and I are doing here today. And then once you're interviewing them, it gives you authority and gives you knowledge on specific subjects. And then you can go and give that back to your audience and you can grow email lists. You know, I've heard of stories, that, you know, people going their email lists from 300 to 11,000 emails uh, with one virtual summit. And so it could be a really great marketing tool. So that's the main reason that I, I chose to do a virtual summit called the happy leader summit, uh, which is going to teach people about all these subjects, you know, how to set goals the right way, how to find better happiness. You know, I have some incredible women uh, entrepreneurs as well that are talking about their journey and what it took for them to have resilience, you know, the challenges they faced. And it's it's a really amazing group of 22 speakers that we have lined up. So I think other entrepreneurs can go and do that type of thing in their business. I think there's a great opportunity for that.
0: So really looking like right now, your vision is to look at how to scale your business, impact more people, but at the same time, bring it really like virtual. Because basically, we know that that's going to be most of our future now Now that the pandemic is, is pretty pretty here, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're talking about the online course market going to about 300 billion over the next three years. Uh, it's like just some crazy numbers that are being thrown out there. So I think people are more ready for it. But at the same time, I know there's a lot of people doing it. But when you speak to people, how many people do you know are actually building an online course for themselves? There's not that many. So I think there's still like this huge opportunity. We're at the beginning of it. You know, there's some really early integrators that have already done it, but now is an opportunity that if you have a message to give, whether it's through a virtual summit, whether it's, you know, through webinars, whether it's through an online course, there are opportunities to take your business more digital and, you know, really get your message out there.
0: So if people want to... Talk to you about your journey, about, you know, like how, you know, how you are using your routine and like the, the talents that you have to help people be happy or, you know, learn about how to bring their business online. Like what is the best way to connect with you?
1: Uh, very simply for them to go to uh, a uh, they'll find me there. That's like the easiest place to find me, or they can email me at Sean, at seanjohal.com uh, super easy to find me i'm also very very active on linkedin so uh, you'll find me at linkedin at seanjohal you know connect with me you can see uh, the posts i bring there i post on linkedin every single day i uh, try to get the message out there and, you know help entrepreneurs and leaders alike you know figure out different tips and tricks to be better in their everyday work
0: great well thanks so much i think it was there was a lot of like golden nuggets in this conversation so thanks a lot for for your openness, and we really look forward to, to seeing how many people you're gonna impact by the end of your career. That's really inspiring.
1: Well, thank you for having me, Sandra, it was amazing. I really do appreciate it. See you soon. Thanks.